Christopher and Eric, company. Sean, Julia, thank y'all very, very much. Bless you. Uh, greetings. Welcome. I greet you in the name of our Savior. If you're a student, you're dismissed. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, see if I can get all my little stuff out. Uh, oh, before I forget it, so Kim Bowden doesn't haunt me. Um, a week from today at, Tommy, what time? Five o'clock. Thank you, Kimberly. Uh, five o'clock Sunday evening at Kim and Jerry's house. We're going to have our first official small group gathering. Everyone's invited. If you didn't get to go to the, the one that we had last month to sort of explain it, uh, that's fine. Just come 5 o'clock this coming Sunday night at Kim and Jerry's. And we're going to have a neat time. We're going to do some neat things. And I think you'll enjoy it. So I hope you can, can be there. Okay? Um, I'm going to pray. Is that okay? It is. Hmm. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning um, just that we can be with your people and we can be with uh, uh, your, your spirit. You've told us that you are here with us and that you're at work in our midst and in our lives and um, we're grateful. Lord, I can't convince these precious, glorious, wonderful people of anything. Especially not what we're going to talk about today. But you can do that, and I pray you would. I pray, God, that you would give old and young, male and female, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, people that have come from charmed lives and people that have come from disastrous lives. I pray, Jesus, that you would convince us today that your word is true and important and valuable and will change our lives for good if we will let it have an inroad into our hearts and our minds. God, give us a desire for it like a, hung, a hungry person wants bread, like a thirsty deer wants water, like a watchman that's been waiting for the sun to come up all night long, like a baby desires milk, like a servant waits to hear the voice of his master, or a servant girl waits to hear the voice of her mistress. God, give us a desire for your word. And I pray that we would uh, value it and believe it and study it and trust it and obey it. I know that if we do, it'll change us forever. I pray that it would be so in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Um, uh, in... in uh, October of 1977. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I got the, the best advice 
that I had ever received in my life or have received since then. Two different people that at the time I thought were great, but I didn't, I did not value how great. Uh, and over the years following, that changed. But I had two different, I had just become a Christian just a couple of weeks earlier. And as a senior in high school, and two different men, one was the pastor of the church that had led me to the Lord, and then one was her dad. Uh, and both of them basically, without even knowing that the other one had said anything to me, both of them said almost exactly the same thing. Um, and that was that if I would make a, 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 a conscious decision to read the Word of God every day for the rest of my life, it would be good. It would be valuable. It would be wise. It would, it would lead me in good directions toward good places and I would never regret it. I don't know if you've ever been given some really, really good advice that you look back and go, oh my gosh, my life is better and different because that person gave me that advice. I look back and just would declare to each one of y'all that um, clearly, 42 years later, I haven't forgotten that advice and I took that advice to heart and I have tried my best um, to read God's Word every day since then and to read it through every year. And uh, with the grace and the help of the Lord, I've, I've been able to do that. And I just, I just, my job here as your pastor is to share things with you that will help you experience a better life. That's my job. To teach you things that I'm convinced of from God's Word that if you will embrace them, it will give you a better life. It will make you a better man, a better woman, a better uh, dad and mom, a better employee, a better friend. Uh, I'm sorry. Friend. A better thank you, thank you. A better friend, a better grandparent. Um, there is nothing other than maybe what I'm going to talk to you about next Sunday. Um, but today and next Sunday, I'm, I'm going to share with you, or we're going to share with you, two things that, in my opinion, it's the best advice I ever received, and um, my life is better, um, profoundly better, because somebody shared with me that I ought to uh, read the Bible every day and I ought to read it through every year, and. Uh, uh, just before I get carried off, get, get carried away. Um, now they put a new cover on it, which I'm not sure about why you would put a new cover on something. But anyway, I guess that throwing you just a little bit, just a little bit. But there's nothing I can do about that. But uh, I'm going to lay this up here on the front, 
And if you wanted to look at it, this is a, there are many plans and ways and methods of reading the Bible every day and reading it through every year, and I'm sure all of them are good. Just because I'm very wise, I'll just go and tell you this is the best way. And uh, if you want to choose a lesser, no, I'm joking. Um, but that's a good way. And I've, I've, uh, it was so exciting. Um, about every five years, I get a new one because the other one's falling apart. And the pay, I start losing the pages. Uh, that would at least they get out of order. And so this was the year that I get, a, I got a new one. And I just opened it up, and it's sort of like some of you knotheads think it's so exciting to pull, peel that plastic off of your iPhone, which I, I don't understand that. But anyway, I know you do. Well, I got to peel the plastic off my one-year Bible, and it, was a, it, was, it is a thrill for me. Um, when you think of deceit or deception as a teacher, a teacher of great literature, where does your mind go? Every single book, for one thing. <laughs> okay. I mean, right? That's sort of going to validate my point, but Pretty go much, ahead. That's I good. Mean, when you said, That's good. you know, <laughs> think about characters in literature who are de deceptive, deceitful. I mean, just pick up every book. It's the antagonist every time, right? Mm. But um, so lots of people, uh, Gatsby, Mr. Darcy, two Satans, one in Paradise Lost, one in Dr. Faustus. Um, but the one that um, came first to mind, I teach this, you know, I teach Russian literature and I teach crime and punishment every year. And there's a character, and you're gonna, it's Russian, so you'll have to forgive the name um, or bear with the name. There's a character in crime and punishment called Sidor Galov. And we don't get him until the very end of the book. We don't find out he's um, who he is. But you come to find out at the end of the book that he has deceived himself his whole life into believing that what he is doing is he's, he's criminal in every way. Morally, completely morally corrupt. But he, he doesn't, he can't embrace it anymore because he's deceived himself every step of the way wow. that it's okay. Mm. And the character who can see it, his name is Raskolnikov, and, he, and we're with him, and we're watching Svidrigailov, and we're judging that with the other character. And Raskolnikov is the person who is, is, is very important because he gets to see. This is what, and we do too, this is what a life looks like who has made terrible moral decisions all along the way and can no longer see it. It's completely blinded, completely deceived. Mm. And then Raskolnikov has to make that decision. Am I going to go that direction? Or am I going to turn and go the other direction? And the turn is hard. <clears throat> that's, why, that's why there's a moral dilemma. Because mm. that turn away is very hard. So Svidrigailov is the person that I, that I think of. And he never, he never embraced. And at the very end, there's this one, one little quick moment where a woman touches his moral code and um, he, he can't, it's too gone. Mm. He, can't, he can't receive that touch of grace. You were saying that, I was just thinking of a verse that I was gonna mention later on where okay. it says, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter three, 
in the last days there will be evildoers and fakes who will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. He knows by the end there's, he's, he's caught. And there's this one moment right before he dies of, a, of horror because he knows. That's what I wanted, to, I wanted us to talk about today for a little while. Uh, just this idea of, you know, there's many reasons, and I could give you 20 very important reasons why we ought to read the Bible every day and we ought to read the Bible through every year. One of those reasons is because the Bible tells us that one of its purposes is to help us fight the battle of deception. Um, I just finished, uh, any of you that know me, uh, I just finished the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. And uh, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you know there's a lot going on. <laughs> Lots of messages, lots of takeaways, uh, lots of, you know, there's a lot, of, lot going on there. It never hit me until this time how significant it is that the Bible begins and the Bible ends with the exact same thing going on. I never saw this. How does the Bible start? You have two people, Adam and Eve, human and life. That's what their names really were, human and life. And God is telling them the truth. Do not eat of that tree because if you do, you'll die. You'll experience death. God was speaking the truth to them, not to be a party pooper or mean or controlling to, to protect them so that they could experience life. Exact same time, you've got the devil speaking deception to them, lies to them, so that they would experience death. Oh, you can eat that. You will not die. So you've got God and Satan speaking to human and life one speaking the truth so that they can experience life and the other speaking lies to deceive them so that they'll experience death. Now you think about that. Go to the book of Revelation and you see exactly the same thing. Now, it's, it's the whole book. Genesis, we see it in the first three chapters. Well, the, the third chapter. Um, in the book of Revelation, what you see is a... a, 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 a panorama of the, of the history of mankind and you see God directly, indirectly through angels, indirectly through uh, uh, servants and prophets, um, but God is speaking to the people of the world, the sons of Adam, truth to protect them and so that they will experience life. And you've got the devil, the false prophet, the beast, the demons, the, the, the rulers of the world. They're all doing the same thing. They're all involved in deceiving and being deceived. 
And it just struck me in a fresh way that one of the things that the devil is busy doing every day, his alarm goes off and he gets up and he punches his eternal time clock and he gets to work. And one of the things that the Bible says that the devil is doing continually is deceiving the children of Adam, the sons of Adam. In Revelation chapter 12, now this, even though it's the end of the Bible, it's a, a, a passage that's referring to the very beginning of time. It says in Revelation 12 that the devil who deceives the whole world was hurled down to the earth. And that's when he deceived Adam and Eve. He'd been up in heaven. There was this big uh, cosmic uh, clash between God and the devil and the angels, uh, God's angels and the devil's angels. And in, the, in Revelation 12 says that the devil was hurled down to the earth and the very first thing he did, he went to the garden, took on the form of a snake or a serpent and deceived the sons of Adam. Very first thing he did. Go to chapter 20. Now we're at the end of time. And there it says that Satan is going to marshal all the troops and have this big final battle of, of evil against good because he's deceived. The deceiver becomes deceived. The devil, the devil's not doing this as a last-ditch effort. He, he believes he can win. He's so deceived himself. He thinks he can beat God. And it says in uh, Revelation 20, Satan will go to deceive the nations of the world and will gather them to fight against God. He's deceived and he's deceived. He starts deceiving. He ends deceiving. What he's doing in your life and in my life in various ways... Now, I'm not saying that there's a red dude with pointed ears and a tail and a pitchfork in your bedroom literally deceiving you. I don't know how that all works. But it says that he is busy deceiving the nations. I think that includes me and you. I think that includes our nation along with the other nations of the world. Jesus says in John 8... There is no truth in the devil, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. I find it very significant that the Bible describes the devil, I've told you this before, as a, what kind of a lion is he? Roaring. A roaring lion. Pat Clark back there and I have been to Africa numerous times and we've seen lions. I mean, eat you up for dinner kind of lions, big ones. And um, what's, what you learn if, if you're with somebody that knows what's going on, the, 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 the lion that roars is the old lion that he makes himself visible. So, and when he roars, he's not the one that's going to kill you. What he's doing is he's roaring to scare the animals and he's sent the other lions back sort of as an ambush. And uh, so he's roaring 
so that the animals will think the thing to do is to run away from him, but he's actually deceiving them so that they run right in to danger. Problem gets worse, just so you know. We don't just have the devil and that which the devil controls or has influence over in the world deceiving us. The Bible also says that the only person that might be more deceptive than the devil is me and you. I find it very significant that in Jeremiah 17, God says that the heart of man is deceitful above all. Now that is a, that's bold talk for a one-eyed fat man as John Wayne would say, or as Lucky Ned Pepper would say. That's bold talk. That the heart of man, and if you're part of that group, God says that your heart and my heart are deceitful above all. Dang. So the problem is, I've got exterior forces actively, busily, continually, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every week of the year, trying to deceive me. To convince me that things that aren't true are, and things that are true aren't. But I've also got a heart that I was born with, thanks to Adam and Eve, human and life, and because of what the impact of their own deception, now I am deceiving myself, like your Russian friend, as much as the devil's trying to deceive me from the outside in. Deceit is attacking. It's attacking me, it's attacking you. It's blinding us, it's robbing us, it's destroying us. And the Bible, if you think, well, man, you're making a, you know, you're, are, you, are you making too big a deal about this? We're educated people. We're white-collar people. I mean, we, man, we, we're movers and shakers. We know stuff. We can Google stuff. We, we live in the, you know, internet world. We, we know all. Yeah, well, here's what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 4, in the last days, people will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits. Next book over it says in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, evildoers and fakes will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul says in Colossians 2, don't let people deceive you through empty philosophy and in intellectual babble based on people's traditions and musings who follow the world's principles rather than the teachings of Christ. A few verses later he says, don't let people deceive you through fake humility, self-denial, and claims of visions and angelic encounters. I've had a vision, I've, I've seen an angel. Therefore, what I'm telling you, you should believe. And what Paul's saying is, is that the closer to the end we get, the more people will trust 
in the supernatural. The big, everybody wants something big to happen. We won't, and the bigger things happen, the more trustworthy they are. Big movements, big events, big encounters. The, when things are big, they're believable. Bible says, the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more people will trust in those kinds of visions and angelic encounters. And then Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't let people deceive you with empty arguments that contradict the Scriptures. Four times, Paul, oh, actually five times because it's twice in Colossians 2, five times Paul says, don't let people deceive you. Don't let people deceive you. So my question is, how do you not let people deceive you? How do we thwart the deception that bombards our lives every day? You might say, well, you know, is it that big a need? Is this that big a problem? Is this that big a something that I really ought to focus on? Ask Adam and Eve. Ask Pharaoh, whose people over here, his counselors were saying, our gods can whip Jehovah, Israel's God. Until they said, hey, you, you, not us, you have ruined our nation because you didn't listen to Moses. But I thought you told, well, yeah, but, yeah. I think about David messing up royally. And his solution for messing up royally was to try to deceive Bathsheba's husband and then the people of the kingdom. He used deception to try to fix his horrible mistakes. He, he, he was a good teacher because his son Amnon used deception to violate his stepsister, or his half-sister, I guess I should say. He also taught his son, his other son, uh, uh, to use deception to kill his half-brother. And I could go on and on and on, running down the family line of David, how once we embrace and allow deception to become a part of our family dynamic, it's very hard to resist. Solomon being deceived by all of his ungodly wives. I think of Samson, talking about self-deception. That verse, I, I think about it all the time, that verse where Samson has allowed himself to lose his hair He's been whipping the Philistines for years. And then he steps over the line. And then the Bible says this. Samson rose to fight the Philistines, believing that he would defeat them again like he had always done. He was deceived. He thought he could whip them, but he couldn't. Saul, King Saul, the deception and 
believing that the, very, the two people who loved him the most, his son, Jonathan and David, the two people that loved him the most, Saul saw them as hating him the most. You know anybody who is so deceived that they actually believe that the people that are doing them the, the most good, they see it as evil. And the people that are doing them the most evil, they see it as they're doing them good. Judas and Peter, both under the, the influence and the control of self-deception. I would suggest to us all that the, the battle of life, at least one of the biggest battles of life, is the battle of being able to recognize truth from that which is not true, light from that which is darkness. Uh, and the problem is because of our self-deception, it makes it very challenging to understand or to recognize what is true and what is not, what is right and what is not, what is light and what is darkness. Um, it's a battle. It's a battle. What is real versus, and what is real and lasting versus what is fake and temporary. What things actually create peace and joy and have lasting fruit versus things that would be uh, temporary, um, that, would, that, would be, that would just be things that make us numb and that thrill us and that leave us with a bowl full of chaff. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We live in a world today that is in crisis because we don't know who or what to believe. Um, so many voices, so many voices from the government the medical world, the educational world, the news, the economic world, from our cultural uh, prophets, and, and uh, well, I'll just, say, I'll just leave it at that. All these voices trying to convince us of, that what they're saying is true. I'm not suggesting that all of them are wrong. I'm not suggesting that all of them are insincere. The, that's the very problem. As Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers used to say, you can throw a half a rock a lot further than you can a whole rock. A half a lie is so much more difficult. A whole lie, that's easy. Yeah, of course that's wrong. But we hear so many different things. Surely we were watching that, which I'm not recommending this movie because it was a big oh. bust. But uh, let's talk about that just a second. Y'all, we watched that movie, Don't Look Up. On Netflix. Don't go watch it. No, no. <laughs> it's a satire, and it satirizes every group and everybody, and and all that. But the interesting, the funny part was um, that who I think the movie satirizes the most is like just regular people. There's a comet that's coming, and it's going to destroy the Earth in six months, and you know, in five months, four months, three months. And the people that are really telling them the truth. They can't hear them. No, nobody can. Well, listen to them. So there's a couple of scientists. They've tracked this thing. It's coming. And uh, 
but, but no one, like the general population, will listen because they are far more interested, and here's the biting part, right? They're far more interested in which of the movie stars, there's this one scene where one, there's a movie star and she's broken up with her boyfriend and she's crying and she wants him back and then they go, surprise, surprise, and he comes back and everybody's so excited. They're, and, and there's a million hits. The, the, these these uh, astronomer people are literally on t- na- worldwide TV. It's coming. Trying to tell the world a comet is coming in a, in two. Going to hit there. And they interrupt them because somebody got back. Some somebody movie else. star, rock star, broke up or got back with their the other person. So. And when they come back <laughs> to the main thing, which is the comet's going to hit the Earth, the, the the news broadcaster guy goes, "Now, women, what planet did y'all discover?" <laughs> They weren't, they weren't talking about a planet. They being, weren't listening. Yeah, nobody was listening. No one was listening. Yeah. It's not just the deception of hearing lies. It's also the deception of putting unwarranted emphasis and priority and focus on that which is not worthy of such emphasis and focus. And neglecting the things that deserve incredible attention, incredible focus. Yeah. Brenda's commentary on Martha. Uh, yes. Focusing on not a bad thing, preparing a lovely meal, but the 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 preparation of something else over the, the most important thing. That's Jesus is point. sitting down in the corner of the living room talking. And Martha, number one, in listening to the Lord himself teaching. And number two, she inter- uh, excuse me, don't know what you're talking about, but it doesn't matter. My cakes are not being served, and that's obviously more important than what you're saying. Deception. I say again that I don't believe there's anything in life more important than our learning to effectively recognize what is true and important versus what is not true and not important. Uh, Choosing who are you going to really day in and day out listen to and trust that what they're saying is true. I'm telling you, it's life and death. Ask Noah. Ask Lot. Ask Jonah, or at least the Ninevites. Who they chose in each of those situations, who they chose to listen to and trust and believe, it's a matter of life and death. I just want to end today by declaring to you, both from the Bible and from my own personal journey, that when God says something to us from His Word, it is true and it is trustworthy. It is believable. And He is saying it so that we can experience life and miss out on the consequences of choosing deceit and death. God gives us every reason to believe that what He says in the Bible is true. He tells us, I've never broken one promise to you. 
I defy you to stand. He said it to two million or maybe three million Israelites. You've been with me. You followed me for 40 years. You have watched me every day for 40 years. Stand and tell me the promise that I made to you that did not come true. As I said a couple of weeks ago, what is remarkable is that what followed uh, Joshua's challenge, stand and declare the promise that God made to you that did not come true. What happened next? Silence. There was no one who could say that God's promises did not come true. Not one. We oughtn't be surprised when this, when the word of God is contrary to our own desire. It will, it will so often be contrary to our own desire. Yes. If there are lists. There, there exist these long lists of things to be that are contrary to human will. Gentle, kind, faithful, uh, self-controlled. You, you know these lists. But deception happens when we don't like the truth and say, well, for me, it's different. You don't understand. I'm the exception. You, you just don't understand my situation. That's exactly what happened with Eve that day. Yes. Yes. He said, well, she, she said we might die. I mean, uh, she said that God said we might die. And, and the deceiver said, well, not, not you. This doesn't apply to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great observation. The, New, the Old Testament would say that we should believe what God says in, the, in His Word because of His faithfulness to His promises and because of His character. Numbers, what did I say? Numbers 23 says, God's not like a man who lies. God will not ever lie to you. That's his character. And his faithfulness to his promises. The New Testament not, does not disagree with that, but what the New Testament, if you read consistently what the New Testament says about why we should believe God, or why we should believe his word, consistently the answer they come up with is, believe the guy who died and rose again. Who, who should we believe? Let's believe the guy that died and rose again. I think I'll put my, my monies on him. We should believe the words of Jesus Christ because he rose from the grave. I just, this is where the Holy Spirit will have to convince you. He has convinced me. And he can convince you. There is no greater gift that God has ever given to you or to me than a copy of His Word. It's more important and more valuable than your mate, your children, your retirement, your job, your health, and anything else that you value. It is the greatest gift that God has ever given us, and it is the only hope that you and I have of not living our lives in deception. And if we allow it on a daily basis to get into our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bones and our stomachs and our ears and our eyes, it'll shine light. It'll create peace. It'll give us joy. It'll give us direction and wisdom 
It'll heal our, the brokenness of our lives. And it'll rebuke the fire out of us at times. Only God will always tell us the truth. No one else. You have no one else in your life. No one else in your life. No one else in my life. She loves me more than life itself. She's proven that to me. But she will deceive me at times. Just fudge just a little bit. And I'll do it to her too. Only about exactly how much that thing cost. Mm -hmm. Only there. It's because our hearts are deceitful. And you will do. Boy Scout and Girl Scout. You will do. Only God will always tell us the truth. He tells us the truth about how we experience salvation. How we experience forgiveness of sin. About Him coming again. And all of us standing before judgment. He tells us the truth about eternity. About things and wealth. Honesty, forgiveness, revenge. Lying, stealing, helping the poor. Who you are as an individual, your identity. He tells us the truth about sex, about parenting, and about marriage. Or maybe we should have reversed that, but anyway, you get the point. No one else will tell you the truth all the time, even when you and I don't like it. I have all these verses, but I'm going to end. I just leave you with those two men who had become very successful. They had everything they wanted and everything they needed. And Jesus says they both decided one day to build a house. Jerry, I don't know if they were as nice of houses as you build, but they both, but they were uh, beachfront. Who could ask for more? One built a house up on some rocks. And I'm sure it cost way more money and was much more difficult and took a lot longer time to build that house up on those rocks than just right out on the sand on the beach. And the very same storm came and impacted both those houses. People that come to a place where they believe that this is the greatest gift God has ever given us and the only hope that we have of not allowing deception to ruin our lives. They get to a place where they start reading this every day, filling their lives with it. And when the storms of life, which this is not a good luck charm. This doesn't ward off storms of any kind. But it will give us the ability to endure and prevail and overcome and actually ultimately benefit from those very storms. And we can see it because we have the light of God's Word to help us see life as it is, not as we wish it was or as other people tell us it is. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And I thank God. I give thanks to the Lord for His Word. I beg you. I beg you with everything that I have. Get your Bible 
Larry, I don't like that plan. To Hades with the plan, get you a Bible. What translation? I don't like that translation. Get you another translation. I don't, when am I supposed to read it? When are, those are, that's all fluff. That's all smoke and mirrors. That's all chaff. Get you a Bible and read it every day. How much? Well, I'd like to tell you to read about three chapters a day because then you'll read through the whole Bible in a year. But read a psalm a day. Read a few verses out of Proverbs every day. Let God's Word get in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and your spirit. And I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your family. It'll change your perspective. It'll change you from being a person of fear to a person of courage, from a person of doubt to a person of faith, from a person that values ignoble, dishonorable, B-team, low-road living to being a person that is noble and courageous and righteous and wise and good. That's the power that God's Word has. It happens very slowly. I wished it didn't, but that's the way it works. But it happens. Read your Bible every day this year. You see what happens. We're going to end. Um, Christopher, you go, come up here and come up here, Julia. <clears throat> We're going to take the Lord's Supper and um, we're going to do it a little differently starting this year. We've been bringing the Lord's Supper to you, but starting today, we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to invite you to come forward um, and take the Lord's Supper. If today you just feel like you ought to sit in your seat and do business with God, bless you. But if you want to come up and take that which represents the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and eat and drink, and reflect and remember and give thanks. And just as a public declaration, I need a fresh measure of grace. I need a fresh measure of grace. Um, then you come. You don't have to wait on anybody else. Just come and get it and take it back to your seat and eat it and drink it and um, let it be a blessing to you. Um, while um, we're taking the Lord's Supper, thank you, if uh, you need prayer, uh, Brenda and my mom are going to be on my right and my left, and um, they would love to pray with you. And so if you need prayer for something, you have a love, I know, I know y'all, y'all need prayer. Way more, you need it worse than a dead man needs a coffin. So if I were you, I'd go up to them and say, pray for me. I need somebody of faith to pray for me. And they'll pray for you in faith. And they'll keep it between you and them and the Lord. And so uh, you go if you need prayer. And you receive that. If you read your Bible regularly, one of the things that you'll notice is that God has lots of different names. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Israel. You know, one of the names of God that you see consistently, one of, God, one of the Bible's favorite names for God, is Yahweh, the God of Jacob. 
Yahweh, the God of Jacob. Have you ever let that hit you? Yahweh, the God of those that battle with deception. Jacob, that's what Jacob's name means. Deception. Yahweh. You would think God would say, eh, that's sort of the weaker link. I'm going to focus on Abraham or Moses or David. One of his favorite names. Yahweh, the God of Jacob. Yahweh, the God of people who struggle with deception. That includes me. Might include you. You come and eat and drink and remember and give thanks if that is your desire today.